Welcome to the First Impressions Podcast, the official podcast of the Forum of Incident Response and Security Teams. Every month, Chris John Riley and myself, Martin McKay, share informal conversations with security professionals from around the globe. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers alone, and any sarcasm you hear is purely intentional. For more information on FIRST or this podcast, please check out FIRST.org. Hello, and welcome to the First Impressions Podcast. I'm Martin McKay, your host, and along with me is Chris John Riley, my my long-suffering co-host. Um, so today, much suffering. So much suffering, I know, Chris. But today we are joined by Thomas Schmidt and Jens... I'm going to get this wrong, so please forgive my pronunciation. pronunciation Jens Weissner, um, both from BSI and giving a talk called Securing the Supply Chain Together. How are you doing today, gentlemen? And, and just to, to save some confusion, I'll go with you first, Jens. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, you did it wrong, like uh, most uh, English-speaking people do. It's not uh, like Johnny Weissmüller, it's Jens Wiesner. It has nothing to do with wisdom. Um, <laughs> I work for the German government. Government is here to help you. And uh, I'm team lead for industrial control and automation systems within BSI. BSI is the German government in this case, and not the British Standard Institute. Federal Office for Information Security. I think it, it's just generally funny that there's four people on this call, three of which can speak German, and we asked Martin to do the introductions. So, uh, Thomas, Sorry, how about Martin. yourself now that the harassment is over with for the moment? Yeah, so I work in Jens team, um, and I'm doing most of my time now the uh, automation of security advisories. That is a key part of my work now. But when I started at BSI, I was in-depth in control systems, industrial control systems, and I hope to return as soon as we got the thing running. And a fun fact, when I first um, introduced the topic to Thomas, he said, um, what, did I done, what have I done to deserve this? Why are you punishing me with this uh, boring stuff? And he was actually uh, the lead an analyst on my team on Triton Trisis, the malware which infected a f uh, the firmware of a safety controller in an industrial control system, something really high-end and important. And now he, he had to do standardization work. Which is very much important, and I appreciate the opportunity to do that. I feel like, I feel like we walked into a, a, like a job review or a performance review session, so... <laughs> I mean, the the complaints and uh, standardization stuff doesn't get a lot of love, but it's very important, right? Otherwise, it's the Wild West out there, and there needs to be something that kind of ties these things together. So I, I think that these kind of projects really help to bring everyone together and speak the same language instead of everyone going off and doing their own thing, which is just very, very confusing. Exactly. And this is also what why we are presenting at, at the first conference, this Common Security Advisory Framework is framework which standardizes advisories. And we are tasked by law of assessing the impact of, and now of vulnerabilities, of 
the ones which get published if there is a serious impact on German critical infrastructures. So we have to read everything from Siemens, Schneider, whomsoever is there um, from the big players and the small players telling us there is some vulnerability in their products and we have to assess the impact. So we have to read them all more, more or less, not the Windows stuff, not the Linux stuff, but the one dedicated for control systems. Thomas, you're talking about ingesting um, vulnerability alerts, not creating them automatically, correct? So the point is we are not really interested in vulnerability alerts. We are more or less interested in, so the, the basic problem if you have a vulnerability alert and just knowing there is a vulnerability, you don't know what to do about the vulnerability. So the important part is information. What do I need to do to remediate this vulnerability? And that's basically the information what is in um, a security advisory. And those security advisories, they're today basically human readable. They have all the different vendors have their corporate identity style and, and different sections which have developed historically from, from the early 90s or whenever they started. Some of them started just a few years ago um, producing security advisories. So all of them have a, a certain format they, they publish as PDFs and HTML websites or text. Um, and it's pretty hard and an enormous effort to read all that and understand it. And it's not really automatable. Coming up with a, a standardized way of communicating those things, both the applicability of does this affect you, but also how do you, how do you address this issue? Sounds like a mammoth task. You're dealing with vulnerabilities across the whole range of, of products or across a whole range of technologies. How, do, how can you bring that all together into a simple, easy format that you know, these vendors are going to need to implement if they're going to embrace that kind of standardization? Well, by simplification um, so, and, and extendability. The first thing we do, we say everything in, in CSAF is a product. So I don't care whether it's a firmware or a hardware component or a software that runs on, on something or whether it's the operating system or library. Everything is a product. Um, that way I can actually use the product tree of CSAF and structure in a hierarchical way um, information about that product. So that is, is the key part. And then um, we obviously don't have unique product identifiers yet. So um, we rely on something which we call product identification helpers. And that is um, either a serial number or uh, a hash for library um, or a CPE, if that's uh, something which your company is able to use. Um, it could be a Perl, it could be an SBOM URL if you have, if you provide your SBOMs. So that's a wide range of identifier. And then you still have that, that problem of matching um, the products against your asset database, which is um, not completely solved, but say, about um, 50 or 80% or uh, solved with that product identification helpers. So what, what does the effort look like 
to get vendors to buy into this. And, you know, uh, quite often, you know, these these groundbreaking changes happen, but it either lives or dies based on how people implement it and how people are going to embrace it. What does that roadmap look like? Is it through regulation? Is it through you know open communications? Is it open sourcing and hoping that people will adopt it because it's a useful thing to adopt? What does what does that roadmap really look like? The the first part is the standard is open source, and that's I get I guess that's the 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 best uh, work to get it run. And we provide tools for vendors um, to support them to create uh, those documents and distribute them according to the standard um, and make it as easy as possible for them to um, provide or to adopt the standard. And then there is some intrinsic movement. So whenever we um, have a, a new CVD case, we educate people about the standard. Um, we try to um, bring them up to speed and um, do community events around the standard and, and make it uh, known. Um, we present on conferences like the first one. And um, we also try to put it into regulation. But as you know, lawmaking takes time. So probably um, we, we are faster with adopting it through industry than actually bringing it into regulation. And I like the way if the industry does something on its own, as it um, yeah, recognizes that they can actually save money by um, publishing machine-readable security advisories. And what we like to add is that the pain is really high. The pain on, on all sides is high. The pain for the operators to read these documents is high. In previous times, they just accepted the risk or let's say silently accepted the risk by not reading them. So I don't know if I'm if I have vulnerable products in my operating network. Therefore, I don't need to do I don't need to change anything with upcoming regulation. And with pressure from the government, yours truly, um, they are now looking towards this, this change. And there's also a change in the mindset. And they find that it's very difficult to do so, to doing so. Even we as, as, as government with a team of, of nearly 10 people have issue, are struggling with keeping up. And if we can't do it, how can a small and medium enterprise with one or two guys do that? And the pain on the operator side is, is really high. And if we get operators to buy in by putting it in their tenders and saying, um, if you supply us a, a constant stream of information about um, patches and updates of your product in this CSAF format, then it, it will be a really push for the vendors to, to adopt it. I find that putting a financial incentive in place is probably going to be better than the governmental um, and legislative efforts because then it has a bottom line. If you don't do it, you're not going to get paid. Rather than if you don't do it, you're going to have a chance of the government coming knocking at your door, and that's generally less important to most people. Exactly, and we don't want the stick. We think the carrot is the better way to go for having critical infrastructures doing their 
due diligence uh, more more thoroughly it we expect to raise the, the the level of security for in the overall ecosystem and one last thing the standard is not only um focused on on industrial control systems so we have big um, enterprises like cisco red hat which were part of the standardization group microsoft as well oracle and we already have the first adopters with uh, siemens and schneider electric publishing uh, documents in ccef and it companies as uh, arista cisco and uh, red hat working on their implementations um oracle also has uh, the first CSAF documents out, so we expect some traction there. It's great to see uh, early traction from some of the big names in the industry already, so it seems like it's off to a good start. Um, but when people think about um, you know, looking at vulnerability reports and using automation to figure out whether or not it's, it's highly relevant, people will often think about things like CVSS uh, and, and the ratings of the criticality. So. Does this fit into the modular design where you can put that kind of data into the vulnerability report and have it all within one format or are these very very separate things so cvss is actually um the main scoring part uh, for csaf so it's it's already in there um we're currently looking into a little bit different direction like the um stakeholder specific vulnerability categorization as um, you know, often only people look at the CVSS base score. And um, so it, it doesn't really reflect the risk they're actually having with the um, with their installation in their environment as they skip the evaluation against the environmental score. Um, so we are trying to look into different options um, where we can support them with more guidance on how to do a, a risk-based evaluation on their own environment. Is part of the goal for this to be able to have that automated um, comparison between the advisory and, as you said earlier, I think um, a, a bill of, of what we have at our organization, um, is that the, the ultimate goal or do you have something beyond that even? Yes, yeah, so that, that's first part of the goal. The second part of the goal would be, um, it's not only you have that listed, um, what would be the, uh, the option um, of what you have and what uh, security advisories apply to your product. But then you also have um, a prioritization of those uh, advisories, which ones you should look into first based on your um, your infrastructure, probably a router which is internet facing, uh, a CVSS score of 7.0 is more important than uh, a CVSS score of 10.0 for a sensor which is not even connected to any network. So that, that kind of information um, should be included. And we're actually aiming for at maybe say five or ten years to broaden that and bring in um, community information like um, what are the detection rules for for those vulnerabilities how can we combine that with 
um, say, threat, informa threat intel information? And um, how do we make that even more automatable, um, for example, with cacao playbooks? So it's, we do have a big picture in mind, um, but we need to start somewhere. And the first part is basically introducing the uh, uh, machine-readable security advisories. I don't think you're going to get back to um, researching some of the ICS for a while, Thomas. <laughs> I, I think uh, I can almost hear uh, a series of cottage industries that were going to present at RSA this year already screaming uh, that you've stolen their business model, uh, which is a good thing. Uh, we tend to, as an industry, create these problems for ourselves and then create solutions that cost money to solve instead of actually working on resolving the underlying issue. So. Uh, it's it's nice to see this at the beginning, and hopefully in a few years' time, we'll start to see some of those uh, further things down the road start to land as well. So, yeah, Thomas will be at RSA as well. You can meet him there personally. Uh, my point is the, the people doing asset inventories now have the opportunity to incorporate um, the CSAF documents, and they will be very much uh, there will be a key player in the whole ecosystem which is going to arise and companies who are currently providing information about um, vulnerabilities um, who are uh, going through the uh, uh, through the database through national vulnerability database and um, processing this data and enriching it for their products only will have a hard time now with the open standard. So they will have to change their business model. But I think an open source approach is much more beneficial for the whole community than um, having to pay a lot of money to, to, to vendors, which only put the information in their product and every vendor has to do, or not every, but every company is, or some companies are doing the same task with the same, output it doesn't make sense to me to have them in competition and it's better to put the effort and the money into making a better asset management to connecting this asset management for example with mitra attack matrix and assessing how how the input how the impact of a vulnerability could be on your system uh, let's remember, Thomas, something you said earlier about uh, a, a sensor that's not connected to the network anywhere. They always get connected somehow. Somebody always connects them. There's always, there's always someone who wants to check might their email. Be the case. <laughs> that, that might be the case. But if it's really a sensor, and we're coming from the ICS field, so typically you have... Um, some layers of defense and depth before your your actual sensor network um, so there might be a different um, business criticality to the sensor network than to your um, internet facing router and that's i guess that that should um, be the, uh, the the statement here so uh, thanks very much for the information. It's been great to hear about this so far, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about it at the conference. Um, I won't be at RSA, but Martin will be, I, I believe. So uh, yep. maybe you can catch up at RSA. Um, is, is there anything that we haven't covered that we should really uh, ask you about in preparation for first? We talked a lot about CSAF itself. We didn't talk 
much about the supply chain. Um, so there are two things to mention here. Um, the first is if all have their S-bonds ready, they'll um, discover more vulnerabilities um, when they actually read and, and do their vulnerability management and read the security advisories from the components they have in their products. So as a result, companies now have to issue more and more security advisories. But there's the edge case where you're actually not affected even though there is an upstream vulnerability. Say it's in your S-bomb, but you have removed that, that class or the vulnerable code as you don't need it. So classic example would be in OpenSSL. If you use a vulnerable version, um, which is vulnerable to Heartbleed, but you use only the secure random number generator from that, you're definitely not vulnerable to Heartbleed. So you could actually um, say the product is not vulnerable to Heartbleed. CSAF also supports with the VAX profile, the vulnerability exportability exchange to convey that information in um, a machine readable manner to your customers. So the customer has the benefit, he only has to worry about vulnerabilities that are really exploitable and, and can scratch those off the list which are not even, which don't even have an impact. Um, so he doesn't need to do unnecessary patching just to get the security scanner acquired. He can leverage that information and, and say, hey, I know that's a false alarm from the security scanner. And the vendor on the other hand can now show that his product security team has uh, done the analysis and uh, communicate that result in, in an automated fashion. I would encourage you to look into CSEF because it will make your life easier. It's not, and um, I wouldn't say we've come to last, but the efforts go back to 1996 of um, automated or standardized advisories. We've tracked them down till really over 20 years ago. And this is the first standard we saw that is uh, feasible, that uh, doesn't make the mistakes of the of their predecessors. And I encourage you to look into this. It's um, it's easy, it's it's doable, and um, that's my marketing pitch here. Just uh, look into it, please. Great. So and open source tools are available. Yeah, that was my question. Is like, so where can people find out more about about this? Where can they you know get details on the standard? Where can they take a look at how they can implement it? How they can help out with the project? So the best bet and, and the shortest URL I can give you is csaf.io. Um, that leads you to the um, repository of uh, our project, um, basically. And then you'll, you'll find links to the tools as well as um, the standard itself is linked there and the TC um, of the Oasis Open Foundation um, is also linked there. And we're going to put in further effort, but it is a, it, but the community will, uh, we need the community to succeed. So it's not a, a German only approach, it's a worldwide approach, but it can only um, succeed if it's uh, accepted and if people use it.
and that's our main goal and this is why we're also doing a workshop at first and trying to get it closer to the community and show them what's possible and it's really a lot and thomas put more, more than one year of his lifetime into this so um, yeah it sounds like a good reason to go. So if you're attending first or you're heading, heading to RSA, make sure to uh, to, to, to look up uh, the folks from BSI, take a little look at, uh, at the product and, and what's being uh, being offered here. I think it's got some legs and uh, I hope to see it succeed in the future. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the First Impressions podcast and thanks to this week's guest. You can find Chris John Riley on Twitter at Chris John Riley, all one word. You can find me, Martin McKay, on Twitter at MCKEAY. And you can find the first organization at first.org, F I R S T D O T O R G. You can also find more information about First and the First Impressions podcast at first.org. Thanks again for listening.